This recording is a production of Faith Builders. This presentation was recorded at Teachers Week 2013, held at Faith Builders on August 6 through 9. Okay, we'll pick up where we left off yesterday. I did a slight change here um, in my presentation. You may have noticed I have two slides for each uh, reason. So the first one is the problem and some subpoints explaining that problem. And then the second slide is what we do about it. So this is where we, we finished our problem yesterday for number four, but we didn't uh, have time to talk about the solution. So the solution we'll call 4A, spend more time processing. And this was the trouble with facts. So some of you sat in uh, Mr. Porter's workshop yesterday, so you have this all figured out. So I guess you can take a nap during this time. Um, <clears throat> but uh, this is something we need to work on. And there are other things that we could talk about here with the trouble with facts. Um, such as we talked about textbook fatigue yesterday. Something that you could do to help with that would be to build your own resource library. Bring other resources into your classroom besides just a textbook. It could be other books from, that aren't necessarily textbooks or it could be resources, papers, stories, articles, etc. But I'm going to spend most of the time here talking about this chart. In order to spend time processing to have good lessons and to help children enjoy school, we need to learn or understand how learning works. So these are the four building blocks of learning. First of all, we have experience, then comprehension, elaboration, and application. Let me define each of these briefly. Experience is the raw data or the input that, or the facts that you give to your students. It could also be sensory experiences that they have. This is the input into your brain. Comprehension then goes a little further. You label, sort, and um, deal with this data. You organize it and put it in compartments in your brain. Elaboration is when you can recall other information in your brain that relates to this information, and you can connect it and blend it together and make new connections. And then finally, application is when the brain practices using this knowledge, and we hope you use it for the rest of your life. But experience is the f where we start, and you may have heard people say experience is the best teacher. Well, not necessarily by itself. Sometimes we stop right here in learning, and we say if I tell you something, uh, now you learned it. Well, if you bang your head on the wall, and then tomorrow you do it again, let's say why didn't you learn uh, from the first time that banging your head hurt. Some people don't learn from their mistakes and they stop right there. So we need to go a little further. So we go to comprehension, we understand uh, about our mistakes or we understand how things work. And sometimes we stop right here too, we give a test. All right, so now we gave the experience and now we give a test, make sure you comprehend it, you understand it, okay, good, bye, now you can go home. Um, or sometimes we have another problem, we jump from straight from experience to application. This is a common problem in math. So we have three examples today. You give the input on how to do them. Now, go do 30 of them, okay? And the student may be able to do, practice doing the input that he got, but he may not understand, comprehension, why he's doing it, or elaboration, how this would be useful in life. Sure, I can figure out square roots. We just did 10 of the, or you know, 30 of them this morning, but I, what's a square, what really is a square root? 
what does it, wh where would you use a square root in the garden? I'm not sure. I have no idea what a square root is. And so sometimes we skip that step. So it should be our goal to make sure that all these steps happen. And they don't, they might not all happen every day on the lesson. You might spend part of a day giving the input and comprehending that and then going further later on elaborating and applying it. But we should think in terms of making sure this whole process happens. So you're probably most familiar with uh, experience and facts and comprehension tests and quizzes and things. So I won't talk much about them, but let me give you a few examples of elaboration to explain here what I mean about going a little further and using the knowledge that we've acquired. Let's say in health class you assigned or you learned that healthy hand washing takes 20 seconds. So you tell them. Next time you wash your hands, do it for 20 seconds. How many of, you, how many of your students do you think are going to remember that the next time they go to wash their hands? Or how many of them are going to care? Or is it going to apply? And so something you could help with that would be to have them sing Old MacDonald Had a Farm. That takes about 20 seconds. And if you make that connection, the next time they wash their hands, Old MacDonald may go through their head. And if they feel like it, they could uh, sing through the whole tune in their head, and that would be how long healthy hand washing could take. Or you could have them build a model of the human ear, which you just learned about in science class, with humans. Okay? You could say, John, South, John, Susie, Billy, go over here and you work together to stand in a row or on top of each other or whatever and make a model of the human ear and show the rest of us how it works. You see, they need the, the uh, knowledge, the input about how the ear is formed. They need to comprehend that. In order to elaborate, they're going to put that into a different context and practice it. Or in history class, you could have been studying about the antebellum period and the tensions leading up to the Civil War. And you could say, okay, now set that to music for me. Or draw that, sketch it, make a map of those tensions. That's a whole nother level than just remembering that, yeah, I think there was tension. And application then is ultimately done outside of the classroom for the rest of your life. And so it's hard to test it, but we can sometimes practice it in case studies, for instance, so that pre-Civil War tension we were just talking about you could analyze that and then give them a current events article or something that's going on in their life or in our world today. And now, learning from history, what do you think we should do now? And you could wrestle with it and see whether they can apply the knowledge that you supposedly gave them. <clears throat> and I'd like to finish up here with a little, uh, my toolbox analogy that some of you may have seen before. In order to illustrate these four points again, Sometimes we think of the brain as this empty receptacle. You know, students come in and, and they open up their brains and we as teachers put stuff in their brains. So we give them experiences or data. So we teach them in class. Students, today we're going to learn what a screwdriver is. Repeat after me, screwdriver. Oh, good, okay. So there it is. We put it in the brain and then we also learn about pliers and wire cutters and oh, we have a wrench here too. We, we learned a lot today. So you go home. And Johnny sits at the dinner table and we have the quintessential question. Johnny, what did you learn in school today? Nothing. And then dad pushes a little further. Surely you learned something. Oh yeah, there, we learned screwdriver. Okay. So it's information overload. We put it in there 
and now we learned it and we went home and we feel good about ourselves. But Johnny, what do you use a screwdriver for? Oh, I don't know. Okay, we'll have to go back the next day. So don't stop there. That would be just experience or data. So the next day at school, we go a little bit further. We want to comprehend a screwdriver. A screwdriver is something that you use to turn screws. There are some right here on this overhead projector. So if I needed to change the bulb or something, maybe I could open that up and use a screwdriver. Wrenches you use, and I show another example. So now you comprehend these tools. Wire cutters are to cut wire, and you show an example. Johnny goes home. He knows more, okay? Now, Dad says, Johnny, I'd like you to use a screwdriver and uh, go out and do such and such in the barn or on the car. And Johnny says, I have no idea how to do that. We didn't learn how to do that in school. We learned that screwdrivers are for changing bulbs in overhead projectors. <laughs> so we need to go a little bit further. We need to elaborate. We need to say, actually, yes, you could use a screwdriver in this example I showed you. But there are many other places in life you could use screwdrivers. And then we need to give our students opportunity to practice using screwdrivers or their science knowledge or their math facts. Whatever we tried to teach them about surface area, we need to give them a chance to find the surface area of whatever it is in order to apply this knowledge. So if we don't do our job, sometimes it's no wonder students don't enjoy school. So now we're ready for reason number five. Students don't enjoy school because a common thing they complain about is lack of connection to real life. It's not real life. I like to drive tractors, not go to school. And there may be re different reasons for this. Uh, technology I talked about yesterday a little bit. It's instantaneously available today. Um, this may in some ways be beyond our control. But if at least we aren't going to update the technology in our classroom because your board isn't going to give you the money, et cetera, um, you should at least talk about what's going on in the world today and not pretend that we live on the backside of the desert and everybody else around us is, we don't know what. You could at least talk about it and talk about the tension that they're dealing with in their lives. Uh, be, the disconnect between the exciting things that happen in the real world with technology and then when we come to school, we're pretty much using books and blackboards and desks like we did for the last 200 years. And so students feel this disconnect. Another reason uh, that they feel lack of connection to real life is they talk about not enough hands-on learning. Students complain, I like to learn hands-on. And writing doesn't count here, by the way. I don't think that's what they mean. I think one of the key things is variety. Students do enjoy shop and home ec class at our school generally. But I think that's partly just because of the variety or the break from their other classes. I doubt that they're really, really excited about building bookshelves and sewing dresses um, so much that they'd like to do it all day, every day, every school year, and they think we should transition school to, to shop and home ec all day, every time. They might say that, but really, they would get tired of that, too. So the key isn't just having Votech school instead, but making, trying to connect our academic things with more hands-on learning we can have hands-on learning without necessarily having a Votech school. Um, and maybe we'll talk about that a little more in our solution. Now, here's a fact for you to consider. In our nation today, the society around us, we have a one-third dropout rate in public schools. 
One-third of the students in the United States of America do not graduate from high school. Now, somebody interviewed these dropout students and they said, why did you drop out? And among other things, the top reason I have for you here today is disinterest. 80% of the dropouts said class was not engaging enough. So, there are a lot of other factors that contribute to dropouts, but I'm not here to talk about them today. I'm here to talk about the fact that too many students find class not engaging enough, and is that their fault or is that our fault? They also said it didn't feel interesting and relevant. Um, they didn't think it was a class they would ever use, um, and many other things. But let's consider that. And they also say there are not enough concrete examples. Uh, school is too much of a factual or theoretical overload. And of course, that is what academics is about, and we need to understand that. It's about theory. But we need to ground that theory for our students so that they feel this connection to real life. So how can we build connection to real life for our students? First of all, perhaps the most important thing is to give good examples. Like I talked about in number one with the problem with thinking. They're not generally going to think hard unless they're invited into a problem. So give them real problems to solve. Uh, in science class, we talked about this with the inquiry learning. learning what causes a tsunami? In English class, why are there so many poems written about death? In math class, which operations do we need to learn and which ones can we turn over to calculators? If we can connect with our students in these areas, we're doing something above and beyond just, quote, learning as we usually think of it. Project-based learning. I noticed on the handout that we got uh, that's in your notebook with the big list of teaching tips on it. Uh, one of the ones that uh, I would check on there is the statement, if you're not using some type of project-based learning, have a good reason why not, or why you aren't. You can find that in your list, and then you can uh, Google more about it. But I don't have time to talk a lot about project-based learning, but the advantage of it is that students get to use now what they learned now. Students don't feel rewarded when you teach them so many facts and then they never see a time or an opportunity when they're going to be able to use these facts. So this doesn't mean that you do projects all day, all the time, but if you have projects, um, Mr. Uh, Brother Bean talked about students that built projects yesterday, if they have a chance to be creative and to put their knowledge to use, they're much more likely to be excited about school and to see this connection to real life. Another thing is value all types of learning. Different people are different, even in your classroom. Our attitude makes a big difference. I'd like to tell a story here that I heard about a classroom, a high school teacher who in his classroom asked his students, who do you want to be? Uh, or what do you plan to do after you graduate from high school here? Who do you want to be? What are you going to do in life? And the, the students shared different things. Uh, a lot of them, of course, wanted to be doctors or lawyers. Uh, seems like in our society we have doctors and lawyers and then everybody else. And so they were dreaming for the top. This one boy said, when it was his turn, 
I want to be a firefighter. And his high school teacher said, why would you throw your life away on being a firefighter? When you have this opportunity, you're doing well in school, and you could go on to college, and you could really be somebody, and you want to be a firefighter. Well, the boy was stubborn enough to do and to become who he wanted to be. He followed his dream, and there is a rest of the story. One day, this firefighter came across a car with two people in it that were trapped in a bad accident and he helped get the people out. It was the teacher and his wife. He saved his teacher's life later on. So our attitude makes a big difference. And telling stories to connect with real life. So tell stories of your prior experience. Bring yourself to the classroom. I was talking with somebody yesterday who uh, was talking about making donuts. And that just really intrigued me. I said, man, bring that to your classroom. Your students are going to enjoy learning about how you used to make donuts. I can see a lot of donut examples happening in math class. Don't be afraid of who you used to be, you know, before. Or, and it's still who you are. Okay, bring that to the classroom. Tell stories. They will connect with it. And, of course, don't forget field trips. And I'm not just talking about the little reward boys and girls. If you behave, we'll go on a field trip next week. I'm talking about planning field trips in which you visit a factory or a variety of field trips in which they actually learn things. And if you surprise them with field trips rather than always making them rewards, uh, they will learn. They, that will communicate to them that you care about the real world. And that you care enough to go out and actually explore some of it, different occupations that are happening, etc. And finally, tell stories, tell stories, tell stories. Stories connect many things for us, the past and present. Stories connect the two sides of the brain, intellect and emotions, our heart, our mind, etc. Moving on, number six. Students don't enjoy school because education is underrated. This is one teachers love to talk about and uh, about how in our communities people don't value education. And so it's no wonder our students don't enjoy school. If people would value it much better, uh, we'd have better schools. You see this with the students saying, I'll never use this. Parents saying algebra isn't necessary. And lack of value of education in the community in general. So we like to blame the community. It's all their fault. Okay, but uh, where did they come from? If they haven't already, they will eventually come from our schools. So perhaps school would be a place to improve their opinion of school. So let's start with ourselves. First of all, let's not get caught up in an academic, non-academic dichotomy in which we think there are educated and then there are non-educated people. And I happen to be one of the educated ones. And I guess you're not, or however we label people. Before we get too proud as teachers, let's remember that some of the most successful businessmen ever dropped out of school. Edison and Einstein both did not do well in school. <clears throat> we'll talk about that a little more later. Another problem we have is an assumption that facts equal learning, and we already talked about this with facts. Yes, we must have facts. Facts are our starting place in the toolbox, 
but we need to move beyond that. Education is a process, and it's a lifelong process, and it's exciting. We can start now, but it continues forever. And let's not overvalue the academic. Sometimes we can look down on those who aren't academics, and we can say without realizing it that intellectual activity is intrinsically more valuable than non-intellectual activity. In other words, as teachers, let's be careful not to communicate to our students that using, a, maybe in school, this is what we do, but in life in general, using a dictionary is not inherently more holy than riding a bike. Life is more full-orbed than just what happens in school. We can assume that also that college, maybe partly because it's so expensive, so it must be worth something, right, is, accomplishes a lot of things that really maybe it doesn't. And we tend to have a dichotomy in our communities between those who really think everybody should go to college or, you know, that's, that's education, or those who think college is evil, etc. I don't ever want to go on record telling all of my students that all of them have to go to college. We have this thing in our society called education inflation. Today's college is yesterday's high school. Today's high school is yesterday's middle school. And middle school, okay... So it's not guaranteed that academic training will make you a better person. We hope it will. How do we properly value education? This is our solution. We need to realize that education does not necessarily equal schooling. Mark Twain said, I try not to let my schooling get in the way of my education. So they may or may not be getting an education at our school. Well, I'm sure they are, but maybe not the kind we want. You see, hanging out with their friends gives them an education, too. Now, hopefully an education is happening at school. After all, school is designed to be different. And sometimes maybe we don't understand this. We need to explain this to our students, have discussions, and explain to them that the word academic has to do with things that are theoretical and not necessarily practical right now. They have connections to the practical that we can make. But school isn't designed to, there are special schools designed to help you become a mechanic for a car, or to help you become a doctor, you go to medical school, etc. But school in general is designed to be different from the rest of life. So when you feel, when you think it's pointless or it doesn't connect to real life, remember that we have intentionally taken you aside to develop your brain and help you think about things in a theoretical way so that when you go back to real life, uh, you're a different person. And back to education is a process of becoming. Education is transforming you. It's not about credentials. It's about who we are. After all, the disciple or student, when he is fully trained, will be like his master or his teacher according to Jesus. That's our aim. So, and finally, everyone is a teacher, especially parents. Parents are teachers too. So let's remember, we aren't the only teachers in life. We can learn from each other, and we need to have humility. After all, even daughters may teach sometime. Sometimes we think in our, our view of education, 
Uh, maybe they don't need as much education as some other people. Well, maybe someday they'll be teachers. Maybe someday they'll be parents. And they need to know how to teach their children. Because that's really where it starts. Number seven, too much homework. And this is definitely one my students said. Too much homework. We need to consider, are we uh, creating workers or learners? Are we producing workers or growing learners? Education is organic, so we need to do careful tending. Sometimes homework is just that, work that you do at home. It's busy work. It's not useful. Ten more of the same thing or poorly written questions may disengage the mind as much or more than engage it. Another thing we need to be careful of is respecting the home life and how much school reaches into that. We have to be careful about how much we assume we can dictate what happens in the home. Young children's work is play, after all. We feel pressure from the schools around us. Public school never used to have homework in, at least I don't think so, in the uh, first, second grade, etc. Today, they're getting more and more homework. It's coming down lower and lower because you have to get ready for the standardized testing so you can pass the next test, so that you can pass the next test, so that you can pass the next test. You get the point? So we need to be careful we don't get caught, in, caught up in that. More is not necessarily better. You see, one of the problems is that quantity does not equal quality. Sometimes we get caught up in this because we tend to measure homework by time. It's a rigorous school because it gives a lot of homework. They do hours of homework every night, maybe. Uh, it doesn't necessarily mean that it's rigorous. Maybe it's a rigorous school because it engages students in thinking and learning. So we need to be careful here. We need to adjust homework by knowing how much they have and paying more attention to quality than quantity. Don't manufacture homework. Don't feel like, my students have to have homework tonight. I'm not succeeding as a teacher if I don't give them some homework. Um, um, read this page for tomorrow. You've got to have something to do or you're going to get into trouble. So, if there is something that's crucial to understanding the lesson tomorrow, or a question for them to explore, or some background knowledge they need to have before you can teach the lesson, such as reading something in history. Sure, there's a reason for the homework, but don't feel like you have to manufacture it just because they should have it. And value quality over quantity. One good question may be more powerful than 10 basic questions. Another problem we have in schools is that sometimes students don't enjoy school because class doesn't feel safe. I'm going to start with talking about intelligence. You see, intelligence is not innate. This is one reason they might not feel safe, because they feel dumb. And we have people who act up because they think they're dumb or they've been labeled dumb. 
We talk about IQ in the West as if it's something set. What's his IQ? As if someone has a predetermined capacity for what his mind will be able to hold. Now, on the Eastern, or what we call the Eastern, the other side of the world, they think of intelligence as something that you learn and grow in. So here's an example of the difference. In the West, if we want uh, an example, we send at somebody to do something at the board, we tend to send a good student to the board. Johnny's good at math. Johnny, would you come up and explain this to the class? And we feel really bad if somebody's struggling at the board in front of everybody else. Teacher feels bad, he feels bad, the other students feel bad, and we have tension in the room. Uh, just erase it and sit down. Everybody else has already sat down. Uh, I don't know what to do. The other side of the world, they send students to the board who need help. And they send the struggling student up there, and he tries and he can't get it. And everybody else works with him, maybe clapping, cheering when he gets it. Uh, to give him reward and also suggesting answers and ways to get it. So, maybe we can't change the culture around us, but we can change our worldview and the attitude that we have towards the students in our classroom. Let's not label them as smart or dumb, and I know you can't do math well. That's just the kind of person you are, and so, etc. Now, there is some innate skill. Some people may have a better ear or finger for piano, but Still, essentially, piano playing is a skill that requires hard work. And in general, as we learned in number one, thinking requires hard work, and thinking is a big part of what we do in school. It takes hard work. So let's encourage our children, if you want to become intelligent, work hard. Let's work the other way around. You become intelligent by working hard, not you are intelligent, so I see you can work hard, or you're dumb, so I see you can't. Another reason class might not feel safe is that we rule with power instead of authority. Authenticity comes in serving. Authority comes from the root work, authentic. Jesus taught with authority because he was authentic. It came from the inside out. He practiced what he preached. So what I mean is power ruling is I can get them to do whatever I want. But these same classes, if you've ever noticed, tend to fly apart whenever a substitute comes in. As long as we are serving the needs of our students, we have authority. But we can lose authority in our classroom when we seek to gain power in order to fill our needs, not theirs. And sometimes we rule with fear instead of respect. Some teachers actually try to scare their students into respect. Maybe you've heard of the teacher who has the big canoe paddle in the corner of his classroom at the beginning of the year. This is for those of you who even think of misbehaving, and I'm sure they'll behave for the rest of the year. But really, you're shooting yourself in the foot if you're trying to demand respect. We need to rule by influence. Especially beginning teachers are concerned about getting respect for their from their students. They don't respect me. You guys need to respect me more. I need some more respect here. But that doesn't work. 
Respect is one of those things that you get when you give it. It's like love. The more you give, the more you get. This is Jesus' way. So get rid of fear. Respect your students at their level of intelligence for who they are, but expect them to go higher and always express this in a positive way, not, you could be giving me more here, but I think you could do this, or challenge them, see if you can do this. Have a variety of shared experiences. Now, obviously, being in the same classroom is a shared experience, but what I mean here are deeper experiences, like reading a classic together, a work of literature, and uh, discussing it and feeling with the characters, and that pulls you together as a class. Having discussions, just having a common goal uh, can help students to feel like they're a part of the group and not be as scared of you and everybody else. Let them learn with others. People have done studies and shown that when your social needs are met in the classroom, you're less likely to act up. Uh-huh. So, there's a synergy that comes from being part of a group with a common goal or task. So sometimes let students work together on something, and this can help get rid of fear. Finally, use humor. Tell jokes on yourself in order to ease the tension in the classroom and get rid of fear. And number nine, too many teachers aren't experts. Now, I'm sure we have some expert teachers here, but too many of us, including myself, aren't. There are different reasons for this. We're too busy. We just don't have the time. Our plates are too full. We were assigned too much. We don't plan great lessons because we're too busy. And this translates into our students not enjoying school. Teachers aren't experts because we don't teach 10 years. It's understood, as a general rule of thumb, that it takes at least 10 years to become an expert in any given field, whether it's architect or doctor or that's after all the training even. So don't expect to be an expert just because you taught a year. Core staff is a key for our school culture, and school culture, a good school culture, is key for helping students enjoy school. It's very hard for students to enjoy school when they don't know the teachers because they're leaving and coming so often. And finally, we don't have enough vision for growth for ourselves as teachers, or maybe this is just because we're too busy. After all, stagnation is the number one hazard of the teaching profession. Don't get killed by this. And it would help, of course, to have a principal or a mentor and this may be a problem. Maybe some of you don't have a principal, and maybe you can't do anything about that. You see, a principal really is the principal teacher, a lead teacher. So if you don't have a principal, or one that you don't think is helpful, or is a lead teacher, find a mentor. Find another principal teacher, even if he or she doesn't have that title. Somewhere else, in another school, in your community, someone you met at Teacher's Week, somebody to talk to 
and mentor you to help you grow. Don't expect your students to enjoy school if you don't enjoy school, if you're drying up and starting to get burnt out. So become an expert. First of all, you're too busy. Try saying no to extra demands. I mean, it might not work, but you could try it. You could say, no, I can't teach such and 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 such, okay? It's just too much. What I would like to teach, you could try it. Try teaching 10 years. Now, you might not want to, but do you or we want our students to enjoy school? You see, enjoying school, we can do some peripheral exciting things. You can have hat day, and maybe they'll enjoy school. Really? They'll enjoy that day. Are they really enjoying school? If we really want to get at the root of enjoying school, we need to get at the root of developing schools into better places and not just adding hat day to the top, although I have nothing wrong with hat day. <clears throat> I heard a story here at Teachers Week several years ago. It was school cleaning night. School was going to start in a week or two, or a few days even, maybe. And the principal uh, met a student uh, outside the school as school cleaning was going on. He said, hi, how are you? What's your name? I'm Johnny. Yeah, what, and what grade are you in again, Johnny? Johnny said, sixth grade. And then without pausing, Johnny said, sixth grade, the grade without a teacher. See, it was several days before school, and they hadn't found a teacher yet. Do we think this doesn't impact our students? Talk with your colleagues. Hunters, farmers, mechanics talk shop. This is how we grow. One teacher went to get his car worked on in the mechanic shop one time, and he observed that the young mechanic, <laughs> who they had probably just pulled in off the street, right, to work on his car, um, was having trouble getting the car fixed. But since it was in a shop with more than one mechanic, they could cooperate, and the older, more experienced mechanic gave came over, and he didn't take over, but he gave him some tips, and he got the car fixed. And the teacher said to himself, hmm, why don't we do that as teachers? We tend to stay in our own little shop bay and work on our little car, our little students, and we run into trouble, especially as young beginning mechanics, and we get fed up with being a mechanic. I can't fix the car. Try talking with your colleagues and getting advice from a master mechanic or a teacher. And finally, read, read, read. Leaders are readers, and readers are leaders. Number 10. I couldn't decide what number 10 should be. So maybe there is no number 10. Or maybe there is. You see, I thought about talking about enthusiasm. Another thing about teachers. Students don't enjoy school when their teachers aren't enthusiastic. Or I could talk about something that doesn't really have to do with teachers as much, how, as much, how we have a mixed model of education. We borrow from the nation-state factory system with bells and periods and whatnot, and we also borrow from Sunday school where you get some books and then you go out and try to find somebody to come in and teach for a quarter or so. 
And we mix these together and we wonder why our students don't enjoy school. But I finally decided that number 10 is there are not enough stories. We don't tell enough stories. Stories are powerful. They're formative. I referred to this earlier. We talk about how we want our students to be better people in Bible class or something. Telling a story can communicate more than just trying to explain something. Stories are connecting. I referred to this. They connect, uh, we could call it the two sides of the brain or the head to the heart. Stories are a snapshot of real life. So there is a lot packed in a story all at once, head, heart, emotions. Stories are inspiring. We want our students to be above and beyond just factual downloaders, we said. Something beyond what they can learn on a computer. You know, can a computer tell stories? You know, they have those readers, some computers can read to you. Maybe you're, you listen to the weather broadcast. Isn't that exciting? It's not inspiring, right? We need to tell stories. We need to come alive. And finally, Jesus told a lot of stories when people ask him questions to make a point. Hone your skills on telling stories. Collect them. Organize them. Tell funny stories. Stories to illustrate a point or not. Um, let's see. Any stories? Let me see if I can think of a story. Well, how about a very short one? This is actually more of a joke, but it's a story. Uh, it illustrates the point about testing and facts, things being beyond just the regular test. So there was a college professor in the philosophy department who had spent the whole semester exploring in his philosophy class with his students what bravery and courage are. So the final test was to write a long essay and define courage. You have 50 minutes. Begin. And so most of the students started writing. They started writing down. They didn't want to run out of time because it takes a lot of words to explain courage. And one student sat there and thought a little bit. And he wrote down two words on his paper. This is. And he handed it in and left. <laughs> and he got an A. Maybe it's another uh, story about the two guys that were working in the ditch. And they were working hard, and there was a man, they observed a man up on the park bench reading a newspaper. And they said to themselves, why is it that we're down here working so hard to make minimum wage, digging a ditch? And he's up there in the middle of the day just reading the newspaper. And the one guy said to the other, well, why don't you go up and ask him? Okay, I will. So he went up and he asked him, he said, sir, how is it that you're up here in the middle of the day reading the newspaper and we're down here in the ditch digging hard? And the man thought a little bit and he said, well, I guess it's education. Oh, the man said, well, what's that? Well, the man on the park bench thought a little bit, how could he explain education? Well, he saw a tree there beside the park bench, and he said, well, it's, I'll explain education here. Uh, he held his hand out in front of the tree, and he said, hit my hand. So the man, serious? Yeah, yeah, okay. So he drew back with his fist, 
and he walked at the hand, and just as his hand, his fist got to the man's hand, he pulled his hand away, bang, hit the tree, oh, ouch, ouch. So he went back down to the ditch, and his friend said, well, what did he say? He said, well, he said, it's education. Well, the other man said to his friend, well, what's education? Well, he thought a little bit, he looked around, he said, I'll tell you what, he said, I'll explain to you what education is. He said, uh, hit my hand. <laughs> what do teachers make? The dinner guests were sitting around the table discussing life. One man, the CEO, decided to explain the problem with education. He said, What's a kid going to learn from someone who decided his best option in life was to be a teacher? He reminded the other dinner guests what people say about teachers. There are those, those who can do, those who can't teach. To stress his point, he said to another guest, Susan, you're a teacher, be honest. What do you make? Susan, who had a reputation for being honest, said, You want to know what I make? I make kids work harder than they ever thought they could. I make a C-plus feel like the winner of the Congressional Medal of Honor. I make kids th sit through 40 minutes of study hall in absolute silence. You want, you want to know what I make? I make kids wonder. I make them question. I make them apologize and mean it. I make them write. I make them read. I make them show all their work in math and perfect their final drafts in English. I make them understand that if you have the brains to, and follow your heart, and if someone ever tries to judge you by what you make, just pay no attention because they didn't learn. Susan paused and then continued, you know, you want to know what I make? I make a difference. And there are a lot of other stories that I could tell or would like to tell, like the best teacher I ever had, the science teacher who taught his students what a cattywampus was. He spent a whole class period explaining cattywampus, passing the skull around and talking about its excellent night vision and its amazing colors of fur. And the students took it all in and they had the quiz and they got every answer wrong. And he said, you mean you actually believe me? So God bless you as teachers as you make learning your goal and someday you be will be rewarded. For more free resources that support teaching and learning, visit the docforlearning.org.